Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. I feel the time is just about right to address an important dilemma on today's show. One that I had to wrestle with over the weekend and one that I'm sure you've encountered at least once in your own lifetime. What happens when a big sporting event clashes with a wedding that you're attending? Mm. Hello and welcome to the Second Caps Podcast. Hi Ken, hi Mark. Hi, how are you? Hello. Is it okay to watch the game somehow? What lengths are reasonable to go to in order to catch at least some of the match? Should the bride and groom step in and just, you know move things around a little bit accommodate a bit of big Give match day atmosphere yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, did you so I was, at a, I was at a wedding at the weekend Murph. okay Ireland France wasn't until 10 to 5 so I'm going to say right off the bat that you didn't stream live coverage of the event onto your phone while in the church which is something that I've seen happen on multiple occasions you actually seen that happen? Yeah, I have, yeah. I put this out on Twitter and somebody else... I'll get down to that because it's down here on my list a little bit. Mm. I've got a few tweets on this. I, I mean, I think on the... On the I didn't realise it was done of, in the church. That's, yeah, on sorry. the scale of just completely unacceptable, that's probably top. No, so 10 to 5, reasonable time. It meant that at least most of the game was on during the reception post, mm. post-church, pre-meal. Pre-meal. Certainly yeah. sitting down to the meal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's all, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, well, essentially we whipped the phone out put on the table I, you sort of get a vibe you know and the vibe was the bridal party a couple of members of the family people seem okay with us watching this mm. you know if you're being asked look put that phone away that's fine but it didn't seem to be a major issue a member of the bridal party on a number of occasions came over to check what the latest score was so yeah nowadays you can just get the phone out put on RT player in the case of yesterday and then you do have to it, it's a bit of the Homer Simpson it's good one of the very old Simpsons episodes mm. where they're uh, in, in church and he's uh, yeah. watching it. Watching. There's a little bit of that when uh, Gordon, when um, Conor Murray scored the try. Hmm. You, you, for, you do forget where you are for a second. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> but that's, but delighted that's, to be part of the big day. Yeah, but that, that's in the reception. I mean, are, are, are you sitting down to dinner yet? Are you still watching as you're being seated at the table? No, and then I mean, the phones. There was the, the couple of phones were. Yeah, at the seat at the table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're. You, okay. Well, you see, that got that got complicated because it's harder then for everybody who wants to see it to go around one phone. So three members of the party that I was with mm. were at the table with phones out just for so, the end so of the you day. don't really like these people I mean <laughs> is that right I mean did, that's, that's, did your that's did your cheers drown out the bride's speech no that's what I'm saying it's the, 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 the cheers were during the reception I mean you wouldn't cheers if you were if you were watching it during the speeches you would certainly restrain yourself from cheering 
But were you watching them during the speeches? Well, you see, they, nowadays... They, yes, you they, were. They, just, no, sorry, it was a simple question. No, just yes or no will, will do. Were you watching it during the speeches? Were you watching your phone? You see, I, were, on, but you, I can't give a direct... I can give you a direct answer, but it's complicated. <laughs> see, firstly, <laughs> a lot of the speeches are on before the meal these days. So during those speeches, you were watching the game on N- your phone? No, it was just too awkward to turn it off, so I just had to leave it sort of on my lap. But I wasn't watching it. It was too difficult to turn off it the was, phone. It's just like, oh no, panic! I just put it down and then. Yeah. Yeah. But so. you left it on your lap, so it was it was invisible to everyone else. But you could watch the game if you wanted. So really, it's a trust issue. You're asking us to trust you when you say that you weren't watching that game okay, while so your phone. I think was you're on right. Maybe there was a direct answer. Yes, I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to cover my tracks here. I don't think that's great, Owen. No, I, don't, I, think that's, I, don't I think that's really poor. Yeah. I hope whoever's wedding it was didn't hear you admit to this. It's not the actual speech. The, the, it was just the introductory bit. It was finishing at that stage. Anyway. Not the actual speech. No, what, um, what are the actual speeches and what are the, the speech, fake speeches? The proper speeches. Yeah, they were speeches. So like. I put this out on Twitter. Uh, got, a, got a lot of people. A lot of people sneaking up to rooms. That's the old-fashioned way of doing it before phones. Yeah. You know, uh, before phones. <laughs> before you could stream things. Uh, there was a, a few people watched matches with hotel staff in certain cases. Uh, which is kind of bizarre, yeah. that's, uh, but that's apparently been done. Now, Mark Gordon, Murph, uh, along the lines of what you were saying there, the Owlad had the Sligo Clare qualifier on during our cousin's wedding mass. <laughs> ah, come on, classic. Sligo Clare. There's a photo of the man here. This is Gordon's Owlad, Murph, I'll show you there. The headphones in and everything. So at least the headphones are in. He hasn't got the commentary on loud, you know. Yeah. That wouldn't be great. That is a pretty good photograph, though. Niall Broderick went one step further. He's a Galway fan who chose to attend the sporting event in question. Uh, the hurling qualifier for... So he attend the, the event. Well, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you're not... I mean, you've made a, a life decision there. I mean, I don't think... I think that's a totally different question no, but you're, one that you're... No, 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 but then you're coming to... Like, he came in in the middle of the meal. Oh, I'm here now. I'm, I'm here from my match that I was at as a supporter. Arrived in during the main course. And as he says himself... Where is it? I've got the sun on my computer here. It's kind of hard to see everything here. Apologies. More detail than people need to know. Got me soup sent out to me too, is what he said. So he was delighted with himself. Owen O'Sullivan, this is an interesting twist, have just come off a 31-hour internet blackout to watch the Ireland match at the weekend without seeing the result. Luckily, the wedding was in West Antrim, which isn't exactly a rugby stronghold. 31 hours is a long time to go these days without God, I was hearing bra- a result. I was bragging about watching matches of the day without knowing <laughs> yeah, the scores yeah, yeah. there. And I thought I was doing pretty well as well. Mm. Um, well, Owen, I think you've got a lot of things to think about there. Yeah, and I think actually friends of Owen, Think twice, maybe, before inviting him to your wedding, if this is the level of engagement that he's going to have with your special day. I would say one thing, though, because it's something that's hit me a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Just stop planning your wedding to coincide with the Champions League final. Just stop doing it. I've lost two Champions League finals to selfish friends Mm -hmm. who decide to get married on that day. The the second Barcelona-Man United one and the Dortmund-Bayern one, both of which were at Wembley. So easy, so convenient. This isn't theoretical advice. Ken told me when I was planning my wedding, do not have it on the well, final. Be- it's, be- it's because it's like the last Saturday in May. or whatever. It's actually the first Saturday in June this year. It's, it's, it was in June two years ago as well. Mm. It's later than usual, but it's usually the last Saturday in May. And that's also, it also happens to be a very popular time for people thinking of getting married. Yeah, well, on to be fair, I mean, you were never going to do that. You were never going to have... Uh, your wedding on the same day as the Champions League final because you've surrounded yourself with like-minded individuals. Empathy-free zone. Um, you don't care what happens as long as Owen gets to do what he likes. I did check the uh, like live score app uh, during my own wedding. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. It, uh, I think Liverpool were playing Arsenal 
Oh, yeah. Pretty sure Van Persie scored a last-minute winner <laughs> at Anfield. Real put, uh, really put a... Uh, the day was a damp squib thereafter. It was just—I think it was just when I was coming out. I just had to—I just took a quick peek. Out of where? Out of the church? Just, just, yeah, I just took a quick peek. Uh, and <laughs> before you know, people are coming out to shake your hand, and I mean, you know, you've got a moment or two to yourself. And I just thought, well, no harm done, you know. Wow. Oh, Van Persie got a late goal. Very good. <laughs> Simon, we are learning a lot about our co-workers today, aren't we? <laughs> we really are. Murph, you've got a big smug grin on you there, not only because of how the last few minutes have gone for you. Uh, but also, the weekend, we told you GA Congress was going to be sexy if you listened to our World Service podcast mm. late last week. Murph, the Murph versus Moyles edition, Anthony Moyles, the treasurer of the Club Players Association. Uh, they didn't get their way. Well, they didn't get their way because they weren't allowed to get to Congress to explain their case. But anyway, in the meantime, the vote went in to make all these changes and all sounds good. Uh, Except it's not in some ways. Yeah, I mean, you can be both happy that the idea that you feel is a good idea was uh, voted in, uh, crushing victory, (laughs) and also be appalled at the manner in which that uh, has actually happened, which is that uh, some of our uh, some of our Congress delegates went, let's say, a little overboard in their criticisms of the Club Players Association and the Gaelic Players Association, and basically said. Uh, the players have been ignored here and we're glad to have ignored the players. I mean, that is by no means what I felt while I was trying to outline my support for the proposals last week. I just think they're a good idea. I didn't look at it as, you know, it's time for us to take a stand against the players who we should be always ignoring all the time. Mm. I mean, I just happened to think that there were very good ideas and that the players didn't really come up with a very good defined reason to not support them. Uh, but yes, yeah, some of our some of our Congress delegates went a little farther than that. Certainly Malik Clerken, who was there, seemed to be painting a very apocalyptic version of, uh, a vision, I should say, of the near, the, the short-term future of the, the GA in their relationship between those people, those delegates that are at Congress and a lot of their members out and about, particularly players. So we'll get into a bit of that with Malachi shortly. Delighted of Owen Redden joining Shane for rugby in just a minute, right after I thank the 6,000 of you wonderful people who have now signed up for the Second Captain's World Service in just the first two weeks. You guys, you're amazing. I think that's the only way. It's mm. the only way to describe it. Those of you who have yet to sign up, how do I phrase this? Well, you're also amazing. But if you want to be really amazing, our kind of amazing. <laughs> Get on to secondcaptains.com. All the details are there, as you know, on how to join up and enjoy a minimum of six podcasts for, uh, six podcasts per week. And if last week's edition of Ken's Ghouls isn't enough to whet your appetite, I don't know what is. I'll take Grey Rose, like Lazarus, only distract the penalty like a former professional on disability benefits who has to take a penalty in a halftime competition and doesn't want anyone grassing on him to the social. <laughs> that was the cue. For- I think that was the favourite among us because that was in relation to a former professional who actually told us that story many years ago. Tommy Smith. On the podcast. Uh, but I think maybe the, the favourite clip for a lot of other people was... Then Joy, as John Stones, arrived at the back post to bottle over to Brody's TZ Cross, and finally, abandon as Sané tapped in to make it five and send Eastlands in Sané in the membrane, <laughs> in Sané in the brain. So there you go, we had Ken's Ghouls, we had myself and Murph laughing like idiots, we had a special bonus podcast last week for the Ranieri sacking, which took it to seven shows in the second week of the World Service. There was also Ken's political podcast, Politics and Other Stuff, you should probably say, which is still, in the man's own words, under construction, and yet it's out there. <laughs> under construction, and yet, here you go. 
You can live in it. Time. It just hasn't passed all the health and safety. Isn't the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona? Isn't that still basically unfinished? True, yeah. They're just like, ah, oh, you know, always we'll, will be, yeah. we'll run that up the flagpole and see know, what see what happens. People have been saluting for many years now. Yes, we can. Again, yes, we can. All the details are on secondcaptains.com. Membership costs five euro a month plus VAT, depending where you're listening from. Simon, get on that mic. Let's talk Six Nations. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. All right, let's get into it. Shane Horgan, as always, is ready to go. Delighted to have Owen Redden in studio today. Owen, you're keeping well? Yep, very well, yep. Good man, good to hear. Uh, are you excited about the fact we beat France by 10 points? And I only ask you because it's, it seems like everyone's a bit blasé about this uh, at this stage. Ah, yeah. You know, we win by 10, but... Puh. I'll be careful now. Shane will attack me if I'm too positive about Ireland, so you have to be careful. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it was good. I think, you know, I thought we were going to face a different France than we were used to. Um, usually a French team would come over having trained Tuesday, Thursday and play us on Saturday. Having played for the clubs a week before, this time they had three times as many sessions and a week off in between, um, or sorry, and a weekend off. And I think their defence was, was a lot more organised than you'd usually see. And it made playing rugby very, very hard against them. Um, they're very aggressive in the way they defend now as well and they stand a lot of guys in the line and it does make it hard uh, for us to show, show our hand a little bit. That said, we did show some, some really good glimpses of uh, offloading out of the tackle which would satisfy Shane massively <laughs> since he says it every week. Um, but I think that... Um, yeah, I think we did see some good glimpses and I think, you know, you know, stepping back and looking at it from a real, uh, the big picture, it was a real knockout game. The pressure was on us really, really for the first time since the autumn maybe um, when we had to back up a big win um, against Australia and I think I think we delivered a win when we needed it and, um, you know, with, with the Lions around the corner, not winning that game and, and uh, trying to keep everyone on the same page and aiming for the same goals would have been very tough. So I think, the coaches would have been aware of that and I think the players would have been aware of that because they're very experienced and I think um, you know we won when it counted Shane I think you deserve the right of reply there <laughs> I didn't realise it was being so negative I, I thought it was a good really good performance from Ireland in you know difficult circumstances against a difficult opposition and, and Owen has outlined you know some of the pressures that I that uh, were involved in that game and how much was riding on them I completely agree and that um, those sort of pressures I think probably showed a little bit um, throughout the game but also you know, this French um, organisation of their defence is something um, much more developed than we've seen in recent years they had very few numbers in the rook in uh, in both the first and the second half there um, they had a very strong blue wall and actually in fairness even um, their back three although they were playing only two deep um, they were working really hard for two, which made it not as easy as you might as I might have thought to put that ball in behind. But that said, in the first half we had no kicking game at all, and I think it wasn't until we got into the changing room at half time and realised, do you know what? We kind of had to win ugly against this team. Um, we started, you know, kicking a lot more ball and having a, that had a huge effect. Um, so territory became you know, vitally important, and you know because we started playing more in their half we ended up dominating in, ter- in um, territory and possession and ultimately just you know grinding uh, the French down it, wa- it wasn't a you know a super um, exciting performance but it was what you know maybe what we needed oh and um, Conor Murray got man of the match but Johnny Sexton was coming in for a lot of praise 
especially given the fact that he's been so in and out over the last year with injuries, to come back and have that performance so clinical and so clean and accurate in everything he did. Were you, were you, were you surprised that he reached that level so quickly? Um, I suppose, given the, the challenge in, in you know carrying the expectation of the country and the the backing of your coach like so so your coach says to you you know I can play you in that game in front of all those people and our knockout game and I've that faith in you which is great on one level but on the other hand you you, you haven't played yourself that much yeah. and you're thinking oh god <laughs> am I do I deserve this or you know uh, how do I wrestle with this you know I know I'm good enough but I don't really have I don't really have the prep to back this up yet apart from what I've done in training so like knowing Johnny I suppose I wasn't that surprised but but even even that I think those those doubts when you go into a test match and you don't have a few games played, even minutes played, and you're standing over kicking a ball off at the start of the game, um, you know, I think it was impressive to come back and, and deliver that. I think you you shouldn't take it away from by saying, well, you know, that for Johnny, that's nothing. I think even for him, that was a... a it's a different sort of pressure to what he's faced before. Yeah, and I think it's the kind of thing that he, he would he would often, like, you know, he, he's not... He thinks deeply about the game. He thinks about how he's going to play. You know, he's, he's. I think like he'd love to have had a few minutes going into that game. You know, the biggest game of the Six Nations so far. He'd love to have been uh, to have had more rugby. Now it panned out that he didn't. Um, you know, he's been unlucky a few times, but I think he's bounced back really well and and uh, done what people expected. But it is expecting a lot um, for that to happen. You know, and I think he uh, he did well to deliver it. Shane, I always get this feeling when I'm watching Johnny that you're kind of getting more than one player on the pitch, or the value of more than one player on the pitch, and that he he he's good at. Almost everything. He, you kind of feel he could play five or six positions on the field. And it's only when he does come back you realise how ridiculously good he is. Yeah, and that he's a coach as well on the field. And that connection between uh, the philosophy that he has in rugby and Joe has, uh, you know, is really, really strong. And it's it allows him to em- implement almost exactly what, um, you know, Joe wants. And our expectations of him are really high. And just as you were having that conversation... I was thinking. I was thinking the same. It's like in, what he's done is is not normal. It's it's extraordinary. Um, being able to come in and he's done it a number of times into a Six Nations game and perform at that level and be the best player and have such a significant uh, effect on the result. Um, and now we just we expect that to be you know done. We expect that to just that is the normal uh, way things uh, proceed. And I think. We probably I'm falling a little bit into that expect high level of expectation with a lot of what Ireland do at the moment because you know I suppose my generation um, you know were judged on a, a higher bar than, than the 1990s generation and I think this generation again are being judged on a much higher bar than my generation and so those are expectations for uh, this iteration of the Irish team and you know individuals in it like Johnny Sexton is really high. Shane, something that you brought up, uh, well, I don't know if you brought it up actually, but yourself and Ron Lugar seem to disagree uh, on the weekend is over is our ability to finish chances or to get tries out of situations where we're in the opposition 22, which seemed to be quite often the other day. And this is something that's been going on a while. We've talked about this before. It, when you're, you're talking about players there, this current team being judged by high standards, do you uh, do, do you stick by the your your thinking that we do have to be a little more creative? We do have to actually demand more of our players in and around the opposition try line to come away, especially when we've taken in recent times to uh, avoiding three point kicks and kicking to touch and looking to score from there. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things here. Um, I think in many ways we're really 
um, creative and progressive in the way we play our rugby. Sometimes I think too much. You look at the first half and the amount of ball that we try to move against a really strong uh, defensive line from from where from sorry France. And I thought on loads of occasions we thought we're 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 ex- we're expending too much energy trying to break down a defence here that is going to be very difficult to happen. And instead we could have played a couple of phases and kicked the ball and maybe, you know, given away possession but had a really strong position in the opposition half or 22 and then try and pressurise them uh, without the ball. Um, so, you know, in some ways I think we're, we're, we do try a lot and sometimes too much, but when we get into the 22, and I, it has to be policy, uh, along with mindset from the players to go, we we will just we'll score a try if we just take it through enough phases and phase after phase after phase, and they're all one out runners, and it's eliminate the risk. And I just think it's too hard a way to try and get a score. Yes, on a, there's occasions you can do that, and it is effective, especially effective against um, teams that are you know maybe tiring or not as defensively um, as hard working or not as as good a quality. Um, but if a team is eager to defend and they're physically strong, then I think it's the least effective way of trying to get a score in the 22. And, you know, I remember from my time with Ireland and from Leinster, there are plenty of options that you can you can employ in the opposition 22 that don't mean just one-out runners. And we have in the past scored plenty of tries from it. And I think we should we should look at those methods instead of the ones we are the one that we're employing almost exclusively at the moment is to pass the ball to a one out runner um, and, and try and get over the game line in that way and recycle do the same again and again and again. I am um, I, I disagree slightly with Shay on that point. I think that you know in the way the, the way the teams are coming off the line now, even on the halfway line. You know it's hard to play, and then you squeeze that right up against the try line. And the mindset of teams is is to come harder and harder. And I suppose we could sit and debate maybe when you're just inside the 22 about if Shane is right or if I'm right, and and maybe there's merit to both arguments. But often with Ireland at the moment, you, like we get a lot, we kicked at a corner and then up at a mall five yards out, and you saw how how good they defended mm-hmm. at the weekend and stopped us. And and then you're like five, six, seven yards from the line, and you know the only way to play the type of plays that Shane is talking about is is to is to get a bit of go forward first, like you. From a slow static ball, you can't really get two passes in anymore. So you're you're caught between this. If you go forward, you're nearly over the line anyway. And if if you try and go out the back, you can end up back over under your own stick. So, you know, I think that the 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 the, the room for playing used to be, you know, you could play right up until maybe you know six seven yards from the line. And and now it's it's coming back. You know, it's getting closer to the, to the twenty two. And and you know, if defenses keep going the way they're going, like the, the natural progression is, it's harder to play against that many in the line. So, um, you know, it, it is very hard to do, but I disagree with him. I think that there are times when, you know, you've been slowed down and you're near the line and you're going to see, you know, if we keep the ball for eight more phases, they're going to be eight more one-out runners and there's very little you can do. You try and go out the back, you know, and Owen Farrell goes the length of the pitch like he did against Wales, you know, um, or not not Owen Farrell, uh, Dan Bigger goes the length oh, yeah. of the pitch uh, against England and Elliot Daly gets back and knocked him out. And that was only a one-pass play. Like, that was a one-pass from the nine, but they came off the line so hard they took it and went the length of the pitch. So, like, there is this debate about about you're faced with 15 guys in the line, basically. Um, you know, and when Shane was playing, I suppose it was a lot more... I, I, like we, you, you'd see a lot more kick passes for tries and things like that as well, and um, you know that's been marked really well as well. Now people are aware of that, and defenses are smarter, you know. And um, I don't think there's that many more options we can go to. Shane, well, 
Yeah, I know. I think I disagree because I think they are because I, especially when I'm watching games live at the moment, and um, you know, or you're, or you're watching from um, the uh, the wider camera uh, angle, you can see that there's a when teams play Ireland now, they collapse down massively against uh, an Irish attack in the 22. So they very often have instead of having a you know a pillar A B, they could have a pillar A B C D bunched up before that first pass goes out. And everybody's expecting the one runner. And the one runner that takes the ball, is it is so obvious that he's getting it. Uh, again, this allows players to collapse down even further. So this idea that there's 15 in the line, um, there may be you know, they, there may be a fullback in the line, the wingers may, may be up flat, but it's not as if they're, you know, the whole of the, um, the, um, the line is covered. It's not. Yeah. They're all attracted to the ball. And how come, like, if you look at other teams, and I'm not, you know, England to some degree have done it, but I'm talking about Southern Hemisphere teams in Australia and New Zealand both use wider plays. And actually, Scotland have used wider plays even in this championship. And they've scored tries against us in the 22 by moving the ball wide when the opportunity was there. I'm not saying every time there's an opportunity there, but, I can, but if you consistently take the ball on one-out runners, that's all they're going to concentrate on. And there has been opportunity, and I can see it from you know, see it from the stand, see it in the wider angle, that the players have collapsed down. There's there's massive spaces to, to um, move the ball out into, and give those really talented backs that we have a chance at a one-on-one or or a, an an overs line. Yeah. And uh, go on, sorry. I would think I, I would I would agree to somewhat what you're saying. I think the problem with Ireland is that we're so good at keeping the ball that you know New Zealand might make a big break, get into the 22, have the opposition defence on the rack and then play the plays you're talking about. And Scotland did the same thing against Ireland. The problem with Ireland is, you know, we don't. We might get in, lose that momentum and then we don't lose the ball where other people do or we don't knock it on. Our ball focus is so good or we're so good on the ground that we end up having like 10 phases where other teams mightn't have those because it just would have gone awry and it looks, it looks excessively... Um, like too much leaning towards one out runners when really the only reason we're doing it is because it's ended up as a must that the ball is slowed down and they're coming off the line and I, and I agree with you there are times when you can play but you know you only need two or three players to come off the line really hard to shut down two or three passes you know you don't even need more than, more than that even when they're they're knocked in close to the rock and they're, and they're only defending us tight you know I do think we're trying to play heads up I do think we have the players um, who, who if that opportunity arises will try and take it Um well, okay. So, so what I'm, what my point here is then, if the if we're retaining the ball because um, where we have capacity to retain the ball for so long, but we're not to generate any forward momentum, you know, we're not going to score from that, and very often we don't. We have got tries like that. Uh, we have got tries when we build up forward momentum, but I would rather, you know get that bit of forward momentum and then you know keep the option and, and look for that wider play um, because I'd rather I think that's a better way to expend our energy than having to go through the 20 phases and with no real forward momentum I just don't think and I think if we were if we were taking that many phases to generate forward momentum then we're doing something wrong Last word on this one. Yeah, well, we're going to disagree because I think that like that form of momentum he's talking about when you get close to the line, you know, you're either going to get over the line or you're not. And I do, I do agree with him. I'd, everyone would like to see it, and I think the players playing would like to be doing it. I think Joe would like to see it. I don't think anyone is deliberately avoiding space out wide. I just think by the nature of the way we're playing at the moment. We're very good at keeping the ball and we do end up in situations where, you know, the only option now is to carry this ball as hard as we can and try and get a bit of go forward. Okay, I want to move on because the England-Italy match was not one we expected to deliver any talking points realistically, but it has done. (laughs) We might as well hear Eddie Jones here talking about Italy's 
a new interpretation of the rules at the weekend? You're not playing rugby anymore. You're playing a different game. You know, how can you have people standing in your attack line? And that's what was happening today. And even when there was rucks, there's still people standing in our attack line. So you look to pass the ball and there's a blue jumper there. You look in front, there's a blue jumper. There's blue jumpers everywhere. I think at one stage they must have had 20 players on the field. And the ref can't see two things at once, can he? He can't watch what's going on in, at the breakdown while also seeing someone behind his well, back. He had a terrible day, let's be honest. He had a terrible. So you weren't happy with how he performed? Oh, look, he had a terrible day because he wasn't refereeing rugby and he's a rugby referee. So, you know, he wasn't refereeing rugby. We've got to come up for a new name new name for it. No Ruck Rugby or whatever you want to call it. No Ruck. He's not a difficult man to interview, Eddie Jones, after games. He tends to, <laughs> he tends to give you something always. Shane, what do you make of this? Are England being bad losers or are Italy ruining the sport of rugby by playing uh, fast and loose with the, the offside rule and with, the, with no rucking? Italy are doing something that I really like um, in uh, rugby coaching and rugby play, and that's um, looking at things slightly differently and being um, innovative, and they should be commended for that. And uh, it nearly worked for them. It very nearly worked. It didn't quite. Um, and, you know, um, Eddie Jones, you know, I, I've, see, I've seen him interviewed not for television and he's quite very engaging and, and quite self-deprecating and funny but you know he, he can he's a bit of a pain in the arse after <laughs> sort of a few of these <laughs> games recently but i just found him kind of you know annoying and some of the things he said is just you know almost controversial for for the sake of it you know he did speak about the italian team really disrespectfully beforehand and you know i you got to commend um Connor and uh, Brendan Venter for for trying to think of uh, of a way to to break them down because uh, or to try and you know mess up their game plan because they're not going to beat them um, if you play the sort of game that uh, England play or or um, you know try and play what they would expect you to do because the England, the England team is far too good for the Italians so they were looking at something else, another way of of uh, performing and uh, it nearly worked for them and. Um, you know, it took our it took England a long time to react. There is there is different things you can do when a team tries to implement that um, that sort of a game against you. And it took them a while to wake up to it. I think we saw more in the second half. And uh, now whether there will be a rule change to prevent that type of play ever happening again, or now that uh, teams are alert to it, that they you know it'll become self-policing. I don't know which of those two things will happen. Uh, I think maybe the latter. Well, Matt Dawson says, well done Italy on ruining this international. Now World Rugby have to change the laws because of your inability to compete at this level. Big angry face at the end of Matt Dawson's tweet. There's a, rugby's the only sport I know, Owen, where one team, an underdog team, can come up against a much better side, try something different within the rules of the game, and then be absolutely slaughtered for it afterwards for having the temerity to mess things up for the, the much vaunted opposition. Yeah, I suppose, first off, it's a, it's a huge example of what you can do when you surprise someone. <laughs> like, that is, you know, in rugby, it's real, real benefit to be able to do something that teams don't expect. Um, change your game plan up week to week as part of that as well. And I think that's what they did. They didn't show it against Ireland at home. You know, he didn't dream up of this in two weeks. You know, he's been thinking about this and yeah. when do I play it? What game do I play it in? And all of a sudden it comes out of Twickenham. And, you know, it causes a huge uproar, uh, you know, externally and, and it causes a real fuss for England trying to play. I do agree that there is not much you can do about it as an attacking team. Like, 
Don Lennon shouting about picking and going, you know, but Italy stood four guys right there, you know, so they had four guys in front of the ball, one guy on the scrum half's right and one guy on his left. He's literally surrounded, may as well have held hands and created a circle around him. And you, you can't do anything, you know, so I do think there will be a rule change. I do think there needs to be a rule change. Um, I'm a scrum half myself. I would have looked at it and thought, how can you beat this? The only, the problem with beating it is the only way you can beat it is to play quick enough that they can't get out of the line Right. Yeah. The problem with that is you're opening yourself up. The risk to that is that you're opening yourself up to interceptions and all sorts of part of the things I was talking about in the first point that I, that me and Shane were debating. And you won't do them. You won't actually take the risks required to beat that defence because it won't suit you. And what you'd have to do is you'd have to pick and go through the middle like everyone thinks you should do, and it'll be slow, and you'll just see guys picking and going. It won't work. So there is going to be a real change. Um, you know, <laughs> whether they can make it immediately or not. Um, is interesting because it will disrupt the rest of the Six Nations if, if other teams do it. It's amazing this loophole hasn't been spotted before. I know it does once or twice a season yeah. uh, across the whole of the world, but to be done repeatedly in one game. Yeah, and there are risks on the on the defensive team as well. Like England, England started doing it in the second half, and their line speed came down massively because instead of going together forward as a line, they had one or two guys in the opposition team, and they couldn't actually push forward as fast as they normally would. But for for some teams that won't bother them, you know, and and um, I do think it causes an awful. Uh, it does make the game harder to watch. It makes it more frustrating to watch. And it's like the the Southern Hemisphere have done this. Like teams have done that um, a lot, you know. Like kick the ball from a kick off. Someone catches it, and scrum half goes and stands beside the out half, you know, and everyone stands in front of the ball. Um, and there's nothing you can do. And then at one stage, he he penalised the guy for trying to block the ball down, like because he was standing too close to the rock. But then there was no rock. And he was saying, "You're standing too close to the rock," even though he had just <laughs> shouted, "No rock!" Uh, he put himself in a real tough, tough, um, tough spot. He ruled to, to he refereed most of the day to the letter of the law, um, you know. And maybe, you know, it was up to him to do that because if if he just ignored the law and and left this um, loophole exist and and closed it off for this day and this day, and you know, all of a sudden it could be a World Cup semi final and a referee finally lets it go. You're better off to referee the letter of the law, let them show up the problems that exist with this law, and let someone come and fix it. You know, so I'd actually say hats off to the ref if he thought that far ahead about the game of rugby. Maybe he didn't, but, <laughs> but it's good for rugby to let it happen, to let people see it, and let people decide should we close this off or should we keep it open. It's probably good for Ireland as well from the point of view of points difference. Might have opened things up a little bit for us, so thankfully this was unveiled against England and not us. Listen, we'll leave it there. Shane, brilliant stuff. Owen, thank you. Thanks, Mel. Cheers. I mean it. I'm fucking raging. Speak from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no peep, I take no peep, I take no, I take no, I take no peep. Just what's up, don't try to get some peep. You know me, but I can't yell me. I can't yell me, I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. You just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Yeah, we went, uh, well, we seem to come out pretty well out of our various games. This is Ireland. Our various games against mm. France over the weekend. The 20s won their one. The women's team beat France uh, in, a, in a bit of a humdinger, but the atmosphere around that one was weird, Simon, during the week. And even on the day of the game, the coverage of it was uh, alluding to this sort of civil war, I'm going to call it, going on inside women's rugby at the moment. Yeah, I suppose in the year that you're hosting a World Cup, I think the assumption in the back of everybody's mind is that 
all your powers, all the focus is on making that team as good as they can be. Um, like any team that's hosting any event, there seems that you tend to do a little bit better or you certainly feel like it's one of your best shots to, to really go far. And Ireland is one of the top four or five teams in the world. You would say realistically have a chance of winning the thing. You know, they, they beat New Zealand in the last World Cup. Uh, they've won a Grand Slam two years ago. They're consistent. They've got a great crop of players. They seem to be coached very well. Um, they beat France, as you say. They're um, on their way, hopefully, maybe to a Grand Slam. But the issue being that three of their best players, Alison Miller, Sene Napu and Hannah Tyrrell, were taken out to go to a Sevens uh, event in Las Vegas. So damaging Ireland's chances. In spite of that, Ireland played really well. And I suppose it's not, it, the atmosphere is in people's heads as opposed to, you know, the players apparently dealt with it fine. Um, but you would have to say it would have been a strange feeling. If that happened in the men's, it would be one of the greatest shocks ever. Uh, so Tom Tierney, who's the, the head coach, obviously, of the women, said, you know, some of the chat that's going on is just ridiculous and you can't argue with it. You just leave it go. The key for me is we're more than happy, delighted with how the plan is going. So he, I, I suppose, essentially an IRFU employee, but um, he's saying it's fine. The, the women, play, the players in the team are saying it's fine, but you just wonder where the, what, what the agenda is or what the objective here is. They're saying it's to, you know, strengthen the game so that all the players get a chance to play different formats of, of rugby. But ultimately, you would think winning a Grand Slam will be the best thing Ireland can do in advance of a World well, Cup. Presumably, it's, it's I'm reading between the lines, they, they've put some money and resources into the seven side of things. It happens too, too close to the last Olympic Games to give themselves a realistic chance of qualifying. It's an Olympic sport. There's a lot of allure to it. They're probably thinking if we're putting in the money here, we're putting in the resources of this, we have to we have to start focusing on the sevens and we have to start giving them every opportunity, which might then sort of cannibalize what the fifteen the fifteens game is trying to do. It does like the Olympics is years away. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm offering this as a possible reason, mm. not as a justification. If you take my point, yeah. I just wonder are they hedging their bets a little bit about which way. Which of the two codes will be bigger yeah. in women's rugby? Will it be sevens or 15? Um, we saw in the Olympics, the standard is really high in sevens now. Ireland aren't anywhere near at that standard of sevens compared to what they are in 15. So they have a lot more work to do there. But I just think for the year that's in it, it makes absolute sense to try and win the goddamn Grand Slam. The Second Captain's Football Podcast, Ken, is out right now. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'll say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you show me, man. <laughs> well, we talked a good bit about Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the football podcast. I think he earned it with his performance over the weekend in the League Cup final. And um, we also talked about Lester, Claudio Ranieri, and uh, the the outpouring of grief for him, and who really deserves the credit at Leicester. Well, who thinks they deserve deserve the credit at Leicester? Maybe it's a more interesting question. And the Oscars, of course. Poor old La La Land. <laughs> we talked about that too. And the Oscars. Poor Warren Beatty. Murph has got his wish. The Super 8s have been introduced. The All-Ireland Finals will be played in August. But the anger that built up among players last week was met with plenty of hostility on the side of the delegates at Congress yesterday in the GA, according to Maliki Clerkin in today's Irish Times. Now has a problem. Maliki, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. The problem being? Well, I guess the problem being that um, falling out with your playing population is just not a good look. Um, and falling out with them over over something that 
nobody is 100% sure what the arguments are on both sides or 100% sure what the what the main gripes of everybody are and they like they're they're multifaceted and multilayered and there are loads of them and some of them are even you know don't make sense in conjunction with the others and all that sort of stuff um if you end up with a completely disgruntled playing population you're not you're not going to a good place and i i don't know where it would end and i don't know how it would ultimately work itself out but you know there's a lot of complex stuff in this and there's a lot of, you know, divergent views. But a very simple thing to say is that two player group there are there are two recognized well, there's one recognized player group and one other player group that is sort of recognized without being recognized by Congress. Mm. Both of them um asked for the Super Eight motion not to be passed and it was passed not even not even just kind of uh it was passed with no mention of them. It was passed sort of, they were mentioned, like the CPA were were mentioned during the debate and this was sort of passed as a kind of a, here, listen, we're doing this. You can know, I, yeah, do, can, I, you can know, I read the quote from yeah. Tony Bass? Tony Bass, uh, this is one of the Congress delegates who you quoted. How many of those people who sit on the sidelines and hurl abuse and have so-called ideas that they won't reveal to us hear about wonderful plans? I haven't seen any plans in these so-called associations. <laughs> they haven't been brave enough to put anything forward. This is a modest proposal. And as far as I'm concerned, it comes from the one true club players association, the Gaelic Athletic Association. Yeah, like it's completely, you know, gratuitous. You know, there's there's absolutely no need for that kind of stuff. And that that at a stroke, you know, sets sets one group against another. And the, the I think the dangerous thing here is that nobody really knows where that ends. Mm. You know, because I think there are if we take the two groups. The CPA, for for all their um, ideas and for all you know the the support that they have, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what their stick is. You know, it's hard to know what what they can really do that affects anything. Like the, I saw somebody saying, you know, what God if all the club players around the country went on strike, like <laughs> a. That would take herding cats to a new uh, a new definition. But B, their whole problem is that they want games. Them going on strike does not it doesn't do anything. It it only it only creates more problem. I think the interesting group here are the GPA who have found themselves in the middle of this. It's it's almost as if you you know they've been kind of prodded on stage. Uh, I sit got uh, in the last uh, two last minutes week. of the fifth act. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, with the idea that they will come on with the, the the denouement that will sort everything out, like I don't, I sense that they didn't particularly want to be a big part of it. But now now they're the, as we've seen in the past, they are the ones who do carry a stick. Like if a round of intercounty games are called off, you know that makes that sets a big precedent. It puts a lot of Sets a lot of um, players against against the authorities, and you you really you just don't know where this ends up, you know. Yeah, I I mean I can't, I can't really see that happening. I mean I, I have to say I was watching uh, League Sunday last night and found myself nodding furiously in agreement with Pat Spillane, <laughs> which certainly gave me pause <laughs> because he said he said that the the GPA saw this coming and released the results of a vote that they had 
on Thursday before mm. Congress. Yeah. I mean, I th- like that is a major blunder by them if, if it's something that they felt actually that strongly about. I think that maybe they, as you said, didn't actually feel all that strongly about it until... Yeah, but they got to do something now. Like, D- D- Dermot Early was talking to us at, at lunchtime on Saturday and actually, you know, used the phrase, this is a slap in the face. Like, you know, you're getting into... You're getting into language and you're getting into a place where... But did he come up with the, uh, any better reason than the five not very good reasons no, he gave uh, us last no, week? No, he didn't at all. And and I was I was a bit surprised at that as well, yeah. Like, I was listening to you last week here. Um, you're right, like, three of the reasons are the same reason. And, and it's, not one a, that, it's not a and, good reason. And one of them don't, don't, don't particularly count. You know? That reason, that, that one that there were three versions of is basically that this doesn't help the weaker associations. But yeah, yeah but without getting back up, uh, yeah. going off there, just for a bit of background there, your point being there, Murph, that they haven't added to that. So where yeah, are the GPA on this if they're yeah. not really giving anything coherent on it? The, the, basically, all that the GPA have provided us with is the figure of the vote. That it was, they voted seventy thirty in favor of not of uh, in, against this motion, uh, but we don't know the the breakdown of that motion, and I, that's it's actually important because the weaker counties might be voting because they believe that this system does mm. d- you know that that it it widens the gap between the big teams and the small teams. The big teams might be voting against it because they don't fancy playing any more games than absolutely necessary. I mean, if. I think that they had to provide us with way more than just a figure of 70% against 30% against this motion. They didn't do it, and they still haven't done it. No, that's no, true. And that's what I'm saying. I think, I think they've found themselves in a tricky bind here um, in a row that they probably didn't want a whole pile to do with. And now they've kind of got to do something. And, you know, early is in the job a couple of months. This is his first big test, you know, or at least... Sorry, in an awful lot of this stuff, um, what I... What I'm talking about and what I was talking about in the paper today is that the reality of an awful lot of this stuff isn't actually as important as the narratives that are surrounding an awful lot of it, you know. Okay, so let's... Park Duffy had, had a line afterwards on, on Saturday, you know, I'm not going to run the GEA the way Twitter wants me to, or it was something mm. in, in so many words. Um and yeah, he's right. You know, let's say whatever the playing population that went mad on Twitter on Saturday, you know, a lot of them high profile intercounty players, whatever. Let's say there was 25 of them, whatever. Maybe that's a very small uh, sample size. Maybe it's a very small uh, amount of guys who are annoyed tapping into their phones on a Saturday afternoon. But the narrative that builds up around that, when you add in the fact that the GPA were against it, when you add in the fact that the CPA were against it, when you add in the fact that the CPA were so kind of talked down to on the floor of of Congress uh, on Saturday, um, and would have been, and that would have gone on for a lot longer if Nikki Brennan hadn't stepped in. Well, yeah, Nikki Brennan stepped in to take the vote yes. off the table. This, the vote, this was the proposal to accept the, to recognise, to recognise the officially recognise the CPA. Yeah. And he could see which way the wind was blowing and thought, this is not going to look good for us if we just obliterate these guys publicly. Yeah, we've got to take it off and let's have another chat about this. Yeah, and he was. It was a really impressive inter- intervention by him because he prefaced it. it. It wasn't even that he was just trying to, you know, get this, get out the door here without uh, doing too much damage. He actually stood up and he said, I think the CPA have some very interesting things to say. Mm. I think they're taking an approach to this that uh, 
to an issue that everybody says there's problems with, but, you know, is not being fixed in every county. So let's not everybody castigate these guys and let's engage with them, let's sit down with them. And if they want to come back in six or seven months and maybe we have a special Congress to recognise them, or if they want to be recognised this time next year, then let's do that. So he was... but. I don't know. I'd love to. I must ask him. Actually, I'd love to know had he intended and in speaking <laughs> on it because it. He definitely seemed to me to be a guy who who was just starting to get a little bit appalled by just the the kind of how much the 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 delegates were reveling in hammering the 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 CPA here. Uh, and one other thing that that it was it was certainly reported that. Once there was, the motion was withdrawn, there was a round of applause in the room. And that was, I, the way that was reported was that it was, it was applause for the, the CPA getting shot out of the water. Mm. I don't actually think that's what it was. That really didn't feel what it was like. It felt like that as Nicky Brennan was talking, um, people kind of started listening and went, all right, this guy has a point here. God, we're going to look terrible oh, that's a good idea. And I think, I didn't go around and ask everybody, but that definitely what it felt like was that, that it felt like applause for somebody having the wit to go, right, let's all step back here. Let's take a minute. Let's not everybody pile in fists flying uh, on this crowd that aren't even here to defend themselves. So I I thought it was great intervention by him. And, but sorry, just to, to go right back mm. and I'll finish off, was that, all of that on top of each other builds a narrative of players versus authorities. And in that, you don't know where that ends. Like, you don't know, like, we never knew when the GPA started where that was going to end. It, You know, it had to go to a couple of strikes. It had to go to, you know, players marching with their socks down. It had to go to a lot of different things. But in the end, it got kind of calmed down and settled down. I don't know how you settle this down if the narrative builds up and all club players decide, you know, right, we're in the CPA, we're against, the, we're against, you know, the hell with the authorities and all that. I don't know how they control that or how they settle all that down in the end. Just reading between the lines of your piece, Maliki, I got the sense that you feel that not that much of a deal was made over the other part of this, which was changing the All-Ireland Finals, moving them from September into August. That for some reason, I think, and I, I don't think it's that big a deal really, but you think it is. Why does it matter, do you think? It matters because, and and look, I am the very last person to join in the war between sports. I, sport upmanship is the bane of Irish existence. I really cannot stand it. But I do understand how sports have to guard their own patch and to fight their own corner. And I think that September is known as the month when the GA comes to the head, to a head. You know, I know I, I don't particularly tune... I, I tune into the Premier League, but, I, well, look, I'm working for most of, most of September, so I kind of have an eye on it, and most of it is getting annoyed at my crap fantasy team. But it's... I certainly don't ever pay any attention to what's going on in the Pro 12 in September. Uh, and I'm not, I don't know too many people who do. But now, as soon as, as the last Sunday in August falls, that's, you know, that's open season now for all the rest of the sports. And you even take something like the National Broadcaster on RTE, there won't be a, a GA match on RTE from the 30th, 
1st of August until the 14th of May the following year. That's a huge amount of time to just drop out of out of public life. The PR, the PR angle, that I would say, is an angle, but the product that you're going to be seeing from May to August is a lot tighter, much higher quality games, like a better spread of, high, of higher quality games mm-hmm. all through the year. Everything gets condensed. More games in, le- in fewer weekends means less crappier games on television. I, I think that, that the PR angle, it's, it's, not like, it's not like, sure, there's going to be, the G are going to be worse off from a PR point of view, but that the club, you need more time for clubs, therefore, that's it. I, I think that the PR thing can be overblown if you forget the fact that for three months before that, we are going to be getting way more very good games, particularly with the Super 8s. Yeah, yeah, and fair enough. I, I, as I say, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying it's a, it's a terrible idea and I'm not saying it won't be good. Like, it's funny, I heard uh, Joe Brawley on one of the radio stations the other night saying that, that the worst thing about the, G, the, the Super 8, from his point of view, is that it's going to be great. It's, it, of course, it's going to work. It's going to be brilliant. He hates it. He hates the, the, what they're do, why they're doing it, but he, he completely concedes that it's going to be, it's going to be terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't know. I just, I just think, it's, I think they're mad to, to leave September open. The idea now that, that all media, and maybe I'm looking at it too, through, through too narrow a focus, through a media focus, but the notion that we're all going to go and start covering, you know, the Monaghan and Cavan County Finals now uh, to and make a give them a big show. I don't, I don't buy it really, to be honest. I, I just I kind of think that the the main club competitions that anybody would be interested in now in September are, is the Premier League. All right, Malky, we'll leave it on that one and let our listeners stew over that. Thanks a million. Terrific. Cheers, lads. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Murph's final thought on this. <laughs> final quick thought. I think we have the, the general gist. Yeah, I mean, the players were ignored this weekend. Um, there's also a chance that they were wrong, you know? Um, and I think that there is an element that the, you know, febrile atmosphere that accompanied the creation of the CPA led to people forgetting about how change happens, not just in the GA, it's not just, you know, Congress and the suits at Congress and all that nonsense, just in real life, how things happen in massive organisations, that things happen slowly and that if you can, a good deal for today is a good deal. Mm. And, what happened at the weekend was the club players had the most unbelievable win you can imagine. I mean, this is we a, have to win more. This is like an absolutely <laughs> huge, huge win yeah. for for club. You've basically doubled the amount of time they have to play off county championships by by moving it f- the football final five weeks forward in the summertime. I mean, this is so like, you mean that they've as, got September free now. Yeah, as Maliki says, this is a huge change, and it was done so that club players could have more time to play their championships. I mean, this is a huge, huge day for uh, for club players. and But that didn't seem to be enough for people, that all of a sudden, after 130 years of plodding along with one change in the history of the sport as to how championship uh, games are played and championship uh, games are run, that all of a sudden it wasn't enough, that, like, make the GEA great again made more sense to people than here's five weeks to play off your club championships. And, like, that's that's what... It said to me that for some reason everyone wanted a total restructure that was going to happen in 
you know, three or four weeks. You know, after 135 years or whatever, we've got this. Here we go. This stuff happens slowly. And after, in three years' time, if you've got a brilliant idea, let's hear it. I mean, but the, the fact of the matter is, club championships are played off with the exception of one round or maybe two rounds in, in October and November. And now they'll be played for the, in nearly every single county in August, September, October and November. And that's a pretty good result. I've got an awful feeling that I will be invited to a lot fewer weddings in the next while after today's podcast, but it's out there now. Thanks, Ken. Win-win for you, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Murphy. Yeah, I didn't say whether that was good or bad news. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Kurt. All right, thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.